Well, good morning, Grace Hill. Uh, it's a joy uh, to worship with you today. Uh, I've been praying for a quick recovery for, for Tom uh, and the continual safety of this uh, community. Uh, but I'm really thankful for both uh, Pastor Tom and Pastor Sam. Uh, these are brothers that have uh, sharpened me in uh, just life in general, but also in ministry. And so uh, honestly, anytime they need me, I actually want to be available to help. And so it's, uh, it's a pleasure for me to be, be here uh, to be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, but I think also it might be in your, in your uh, little handouts, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll be reading the first uh, 12 verses. Uh, let's give our full attention as I read God's word for us. My son, do not, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. This is God's word. Amen. Um, if you have any young children at this time, I don't see too many. I'm going to be sharing uh, an illustration that might be potentially devastating. And so uh, hopefully if you're listening online, you guys can pause at this moment. Um, so during the pandemic, uh, there were some, some Sundays that, you know, our family couldn't go to worship. Uh, and the church didn't have uh, virtual worship. So what I decided to do was make good use of my seminary degree and have family worship with my four kids. So just to give a little bit of background, I have a son. Uh, his name is Deacon. He's nine. Uh, my second, her name is Devin. She's six. The third, Dylan. She is four. And our fourth, Danny, is four months. So that's our family. Just to give a little bit of context. Uh, so we had family. I had family worship with uh, the older three kids while my wife was taking care of Danny. And so what I did was I take out uh, Deacon's small guitar. I'll lead a couple songs uh, of praise, and then I'll have a Bible study lesson with them. And on one of these Sundays, uh, the lesson was a creation story. And uh, because they're a little older, I can have a conversation uh, with them. And so we have small group discussion afterwards. So the question I asked them after the creation story is, what is your favorite part of God's creation? Uh, number one gave his answer. Number three gave her answer. And then number two, Devin, she goes, my favorite is unicorns. And then at that moment, I was like, oh, Devin, I'm sorry. I don't think, I don't think God created unicorns. Do you want to choose something else? And then to my um, terror, she said, the tooth fairy. I, I love the tooth fairy. And at that moment, I, I paused in, in fear. And then my son, he's nine, he, he caught a wind of my hesitancy to reply to that. And he goes, Dad, um, does, do the tooth fairy, does, he, does, he, does she exist? And at that moment, uh, man, I was at a crossroads of what I should do. And uh, this is exactly what I did. I was like, okay, kids, it's time to close in prayer. <laughs> uh, and luckily, after I closed in prayer, they didn't have a follow-up to that. 
And so I totally, you know, dodged the bullet there. Uh, you know, our kids um, believe in the tooth fairy, and they believe in Santa Claus. And because every time they lose a tooth, they put it under their pillow, and then there's a dollar that shows up the next day. Uh, when Christmas rolls around, uh, and we bring out this creepy elf uh, that moves around the house because it's watching them and reporting back to Santa Claus. Um, there are expectations, anticipation, and even behavior uh, that is consistent with this framework that Jane and I, we've constructed for our kids. Uh, sooner or later, they're going to discover the truth and it will be devastating for them. And we're going to have to pay the repercussions later. But, um, and by the way, if you're parents and you're judging us at this point, we deserve it. Uh, but we don't want to rob our children of these kind of childhood experiences. And that's why we do these things. Um, but our kids are simply living out the knowledge um, that we've kind of shared with them. And so they look under the pillow, there's a dollar there. When they see the Christmas tree, they see presents under the tree. And, and this, in essence, is what wisdom is. Simply put, wisdom is knowledge that actually forms and shapes our lives. Uh, and, and Proverbs is a book all about what wisdom is. What wisdom is. And I'm sure we all can make, uh, we need more in our lives. But the Bible also identifies that there's different types of wisdom. There's worldly wisdom that widely uh, rejects the notion of God. And then there is godly wisdom uh, that accepts his revelation and his truth. Um, but it's important for us to understand the ultimate aim of wisdom in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Uh, what purpose did it serve as the Israelites would read uh, these wisdom sayings? See, the goal of wisdom isn't simply intellect or knowledge for knowledge's sake, but it actually sought to lead one to a deeper love and fellowship with God. So closeness to God was the goal of wisdom. The objective was holiness, to become like God in his character. And so Solomon uh, says that wisdom rightly begins with the fear of of God, the fear of God. That's, that's where it starts. That's where wisdom starts. Not the terror type of fear, but this kind of awe and wonder type of fear. And so in our passage, Solomon is teaching his son, how do you cultivate this type of fear that would lead then to a life of wisdom? It begins with a commitment to the word of God. Verses 1 through 4 again. I'll read this for us. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. For any parent, this kind of sounds familiar where we incentivize our instructions and obedience. Right? You do this. And this will happen. If you don't do this, something else is going to happen. And so it almost sounds like Solomon is wanting his son to listen to his commands. Uh, and I'm sure there's an aspect of that. But if we look closely at these instructions, what we see is the same instructions that God gave to the Israelites during the wa uh, wilderness wanderings. In Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 10, God instructs his people to embed his laws deep into their hearts, to always have it in their view, 
to write it on their door, doorpost, and in every opportunity to teach it to their children. Whether they're sitting, walking, right before they go to bed, right as they wake up, teach them my laws. This was God's instruction. It seems a little bit like excessive, right? Overkill. Like write it everywhere. Have it on the tablet of your hearts. Remind them as they sleep. Remind them as they wake up. But we have to understand that this command was given at a very pivotal time in Israel's history. They have just been liberated from Egypt. And they're now wandering in the desert on their way to the promised land. And in the wilderness, there's going to be various obstacles that they're going to encounter. That would cause the Israelites to forget all that God had done right, in Egypt. And all that he promised to do right, for them. And so being short-sighted, they rebelled constantly against God and even entertained the thought of going back to slavery. And this was the journey of the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. And that is why God gives them this command, to keep it ever close to you. Remember. You know, the greatest challenge for them was yet to come, though. See, the promised land was inhabited by a powerful people who worshipped these idols, and so for them to take over this land was not going to be easy. And there was going to be temptation for them to take these idols for themselves and to worship these gods. Which would bring ultimately judgment and devastation to God's people. See, clinging to God's word and keeping his commands would bring blessings. While forgetting or neglecting his word would bring disaster. And this is the pattern. This is the pattern we see again and again in the Old Testament. Right? In the garden, Adam and Eve rejected God as the primary source of knowledge. Right? They ate the forbidden fruit. And in rejecting God's wisdom, they became fools. Reality was distorted. Right? Being their own source of knowledge, all sorts of disorder came into the world. Right? As they sought to create meaning for themselves. So instead of worshiping the creator God, they gave themselves to created things. And if we think about it, not much has changed in our lives today. This is the challenge for us today. There are competing voices bidding for our attention. Right? Waiting to shape our affections. We have more access to knowledge and information than any previous generation. And our phones serve as a source that constantly is shaping our reality, unbeknownst to us. Believe it or not, they're shaping our expectations. They're shaping how we view this world. And so I want us to pause and consider. Think of your days and, and your weeks, your decisions, your relationships. What truth are you living out? What is the reality that you're living out? What or who is shaping your mind and your life? Right? How do we see this world and how do we engage in it? If it is not the truth of God, it is something else. If godly wisdom is meant to lead us to deeper joy, one needs to commit themselves to the source of God's wisdom in his word. But it doesn't stop there. See, truth is designed to cultivate trust. Truth is designed to cultivate trust. Verses 4 through 7. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See, one cannot grow in wisdom without the act of trusting. See, knowledge of God is necessary for wisdom, but knowledge doesn't necessarily make one wise. That's really important for us to understand. Knowledge becomes wisdom when we actually put that knowledge into practice. And see, this is where many of us, we get stuck. We have so much uncultivated knowledge sitting in our heads. We have a lot of information about God, but very few interactions with him. And this is also where we get God wrong. We think what God wants from us is for us to perform tasks for him. Right? So we read the first four verses and we see a list of things that God wants us to do. And so we, we try. Right? And so we do religion. We go to church. We serve. We give occasionally. Thinking that God is after our religion. And it makes sense because if it is religion that God is after, it's, it makes things a lot easier. Because religion helps us manage his expectations of us. Right? So if I do a few things, it will appease him. And maybe if I serve a little bit more, maybe there's a blessing there for me. See, see what religion does? We, we get to manage God and his expectations of us. And all the while, we're missing the point completely when it comes to his word and his truth. God is not after my tasks. He is after my trust. He's after a relationship. Because what pleases God is faith. That is what God delights in, is trust. And so the battleground in which the Christian life is fought is, is, is on the battlefield of faith. Do I trust in God? Do I believe in his promises? Do I actually believe that he loves me? That he is for me? That he will never leave me nor forsake me? Do I really believe in that truth? See, trust is so much harder than religion. Because the act of trust puts us in a position of vulnerability. And the fact is, many of us, we've been burned. We've been burned. Whether it's by people, whether it's by other pastors, by a friend, by a spouse. We've been burned before. You know, people we thought that were trustworthy have betrayed us, disappointed us, and hurt us. Or to get even more real... We believe that God has let us down. He didn't pull through when, when we really needed him. So many of our prayers are still yet to be answered. I, trust, I tried trusting. It doesn't work. You know, um, Deacon, my nine-year-old, while we were in the car, uh, he asked this very, um, we, we were talking about God, and this is, this is kind of the question he has. God is all-powerful, right, Dad? I'm like, yeah, Deacon, he is, he is all-powerful. And then he followed, up, followed that up and said, why doesn't he get rid of COVID then? Why is such a good, good question? Um, and this is how I replied to him. I'm like, son, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why um, the COVID is still happening, but I believe that God is all-powerful. 
And I believe that he is actually doing something. I don't know what that something is, but I believe he's doing something. Earlier in the pandemic, our, our, our family went to an outdoor party, out there, outdoor birthday party. And uh, number three, Dylan, uh, she's, uh, she's the wild one in our family. She just likes no fear, just goes around, plays with anything. And uh, she was playing with this kind of, these wooden boards, and she got uh, splinters in her hands. And it, it was, it was, there were big ones, but they were deeply embedded in her hand. And she was screaming, crying. Uh, and I, I went to her, and I looked at her hand, and I'm like, Dylan, we got to take this out. And she pulls her hand back, right, and saying, like, no, it hurts so much. Uh, eventually what I had to do is I had to hold her down with all my might because she's strong. She's a strong little one. I, hold her, I held her down while I saw another sister, uh, you know, got the tweezers, picked it out, right, picked it out. And eventually, um, you know, she got it out, but it was with a lot of screaming, a lot of tears. And uh, it was just, it was it was crazy because she's really loud too, right? And so people were freaking out. But eventually, we got it out. Like for me, I, I took no pleasure <laughs> in holding down because I actually have to use my strength. I took no pleasure in that while she was screaming. Uh, but there was something that I knew that she didn't know at that young age. If we, did not ta- if we don't take these splinters out, her hand's going to get affected. And it actually is going to be worse for her. But you know what's funny? After, you know, after, after that whole debacle, Dylan, she, she was giving me the side eye, the entire party. And every time I tried to get near her, she would run away. Right? Was, you know, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I, I want my kids to love me. It was, it was a hurtful time. But I also knew that that was, the, that was the right thing for me to do as a father. See, Dylan's scope was limited. She only assessed the pain that she was feeling then without knowing that what would happen if the splinters were still in her hand days from that, that moment. Perspective. Wisdom. I have more wisdom than my daughter Dylan. And so there's a reason why we need to stay close to God's word, that we need to be committed to his truth because his truth offers us perspective greater scope of things, especially in moments of pain, disappointment, and suffering. Because faith does not come out of nowhere. Faith comes from truth, from the gospel. So truth doesn't come naturally. It's not automatic. We need reasons to trust. And so God's word is there for us to remind us that he's worthy of our trust. He is a good father. And so what we will discover, if we commit ourselves to reading his word, are essential truths that helps us in this journey of faith. First, that God is completely sovereign. He's in control of everything. Number two, that he is infinitely wise. We see what's in front of us. God sees all of eternity in one one glance. And also he is perfect in love. These three things, sovereign, wise, And he loves you. These are amazing truths that we can really build our lives upon, build our faith upon. You know, Jerry Bridges, one of my favorite Christian authors, I recommend any one of his books. This is what he says. God in his love always wills what is best for us 
in his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And his sovereignty, he has a power to bring it about. Trust. So hard, isn't it? I think many of us, we try and position our lives where we don't ever have to trust or depend on anyone. Isn't that, isn't that how we live our lives? Isn't that why we work so hard, try to get into that school, to get that job, so we can be self-sufficient, independent, not rely and depend on anyone? That's how, that's how we're taught to live. Don't depend on anyone. Just, you know, do everything for yourself. And so we calculate, we plan out in trying to be self-sufficient. And sadly, I want to say we do this even with God. We formulate our lives to leave God out of the equation because, again, trust puts us in a place of vulnerability. And it's not, the, it's not that we're lacking the ability to trust. We actually have an abundance of trust to give out, to hand out, right? We trust in our abilities. We trust in our wealth. We trust in the economy. I don't know if you want to do that now. We trust in relationships, It's not that we have a shortage of trust. It's that we are rather short-sighted in what we place our trust in. We think these things can satisfy. We think we can build build our lives around these things. When was the last time you actively trusted in God? When making a decision, when you're faced with disappointment, in seasons of suffering, when was the last time you actually had to trust and actively trust in God? You know, I, I share uh, this challenge with, um, you know, various people that I meet because, you know, there are so many decisions to be made. And you're, you're faced with two decisions that are, are basically, you can't go wrong with either one. And the question I ask them is, which one requires you to trust in God more? And I encourage and challenge them, take that one. Take that one and see. See what God does with your trust. You know, so many of us, we've suffocated our faith in attempts to preserve our own lives. We've been Christian for years, but our faith has remained the same size. And so where do we start? By commitment to the word, um, the practice of trust. So where do we start with trust? Verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your, va- your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bur- bursting with wine. It's so interesting. Uh, Solomon could have gone anywhere for, his, for this instruction for his son, but he goes to wealth. Man, the entanglement that we have with money. See, the idea of first fruits, it's mentioned, uh, um, we see it first with Cain and Abel uh, and their respective offerings made to God. Abel offered his firstborn and best of his flock, and God accepted it. Cain gave a general offering from his crops, and God rejected it. And the book of Hebrews explains it in more detail. But this is what it was it was offered in faith. Abel offered it in faith, while Cain did not. And that's why it was accepted. You know, I know the topic of, of money is always a sensitive thing, uh, but because I'm not your pastor, I can, I can share freely, right? Um, one of the hardest things to do is actually to give our hard-earned money to God. Uh, but here again, we need to ask what we believe. What is reality 
uh, what, is, what is it that we believe as Christians? Does this money truly belong to me? Or am I just a steward over it? Am I a manager or am I the owner? Is God the one that truly gives us all these amazing things? It belongs to him or is it mine? And so I want to challenge you with this idea of first fruits. And yes, we can extend it to, you know, time, your abilities and other resources. But I actually want to stay here uh, and talk about money. Uh, and if I can get really practical, uh, you know, for those of you t- who tithe, uh, that's great. But I think time and, and when we tithe is actually important. Um, and I might be wrong in the application of this, but to tithe at the very beginning of the month. I think that's the idea of first fruits. Because if we give in the beginning of the month, what we're communicating to God is I'll trust in you for the rest of the month. Versus if I wait, cover all my expenses and see if there's 10% left over and giving it at the end. Do you see what we're communicating to God in, in those two different scenarios? I want to really encourage and challenge you, if you're a member here, to do it at the very beginning. Uh, but if you're visiting here and you're like, whoa, whoa, DC, you're like, don't, don't talk about money. Like, this isn't for you. Um, but also, if you're a member and you're struggling to give, I know 10% is kind of the standard. I don't know if it's okay for me to say this, but start somewhere. It doesn't have to be right at 10. And work your way up. And I just want to ask you, just see what God does. Again, if we don't act in trust, we can't experience you know, honestly, all that God is and all that he is and, and his faithfulness to us. And the promise that Solomon gives to his son is that if you're a good steward, God will bless you with more. Lastly, Solomon reminds his son that there will be course correction and pain in his journey uh, of wisdom. Verses 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he delights as a father, the son in whom he delights. Ah, I just love this. Because what, what Solomon is trying to do for his son is to create uh, an idea of God for him. And the idea is that God is a father. How do you view God? What category do you place God in? Is he a, 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 a taskmaster? Is he a, a personal genie? Is this impersonal force who controls everything? Or is he father? Is he your father? And so how you answer this question will determine how we process pain and suffering, which is inevitable in this life. Now, just want to make very, very clear, not all pain and suffering is the result of foolishness, although if we're honest with ourselves, it is. Uh, a lot of the pain and suffering is self-inflicted by our decisions or our failures. Uh, but not all of it is. And any good parent will discipline their child, especially if they're acting reckless, selfish, or violent. And God is a good father who cares for us. Therefore, he will discipline us. Because his objective is our everlasting joy, not immediate gratification. And a child's trust in their parents actually is found in discipline, not in the absence of it. So here's the challenge. Do we see God as a loving father who will sometimes pull you away from danger, who will sometime, sometimes put up a roadblock 
Because he knows that if you go down that path, it's not going to go well for you. So that unanswered prayer, you think that God let you down, actually is a blessing. Because again, God is infinitely wise. He knows. He sees way more than we do. So godly wisdom, if it is ours and if we grow and if we accumulate it more and more, it should change our line of questioning from, why is this happening to me, God? To God, where are you taking me instead? You know, when I place my life on, on, on this chapter, Proverbs 3, and all the instructions that Solomon gives, man, I can't help but feel like a failure. Man, I'm such a fool. I don't live this way. I, I'm forgetful. I'm rebellious. I trust in myself. I lean on my own understanding. I'm selfish. I often try to dodge God's discipline. And so I'm no different than the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. I'm stiff-necked. I'm forgetful. I'm a covenant breaker rather than a covenant keeper. And so you can be discouraged reading Proverbs 3 and say, man, my life does not live up to this at all. And this is why we need the gospel. And this is why we need Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is our wisdom. He is your wisdom. Jesus lived the life of wisdom. He lived this life of Proverbs 3. But then he would suffer the fate of a fool on that cross. He kept all of the commands, but he would die as a lawbreaker. He was faithful to God, but experienced God's disfavor on that cross. He was despised by men, so that if we place our trust in him, that we can have our Father's delight. This is the gospel truth. And remember that these instructions are given in the context of a father and son relationship. That's really important for us to remember because this is not a prerequisite of how to get into God's family. Rather, it's instructions that you are already in that family. And so for those of us who have yet to receive Jesus as your wisdom, I want to invite you to receive him today. And what we need to do for that is simply confess that we are fools. Acknowledging our inability to live according to his wisdom. And accept the truth that Christ fulfilled it for you. And so if you want to make that commitment today or later on, you know, I encourage you to talk to Pastor Sam or Pastor Tom or any of the, the leaders, uh, leaders here. And they'll love to walk with you. You know, I, I've, I've always respected women. Uh, that's how I was raised. Uh, but you know what really made me respect women? Uh, seeing my wife give birth four times. Um, you know, after the, having our fourth, I don't know why it took, it took the fourth. But I'm convinced more than ever that women are stronger and just overall better people. They're better humans than men. Because um, for nine months, she carries this baby in her belly. She goes through these radical changes Physically, emotionally, psychologically. Um, and then when it comes to delivery, I'm just there. You know, she does all the work. When it comes time to push, I'm trying not to faint while my wife is like pushing. 
Um, when it comes time to feeding and caring for the baby, yes, I'm there to help, but I get frustrated. Oh, why can't you just go back to sleep? My wife wakes up, takes Danny, just patient. Women are just better than men. I don't see mothers the same way. Why? Because I was able to witness and experience the entire process four times. And each time I'm amazed and humble. And so there is an awe and reverence that I have for Jane, to be honest. But you guys don't. Why would you guys have that experience? You guys weren't there for those nine months. You guys weren't there in the hospital room to be able to see her do all that. You have no reason to be in awe of my wife. You know the reason why we have such little awe and reverence for God is because we aren't really experiencing him. See, God for many of us is just an idea it's just this theological concept. Awe comes from being in that room. Awe comes from journeying with God. Wonder comes from experiencing him, trusting in him, and seeing what God does with our trust. I believe that if we believe in God's sovereignty, if we believe in his wisdom, and if we believe that he loves us, it should it should dramatically change and transform our lives. It should transform our marriage. It should transform our parenting. It should transform our workplace. It should transform our relationships. It should transform everything. My prayer and hope for you, Grace Hill, is that you will not just have knowledge, uncultivated knowledge in your mind about God. It's good. That's where we need to start. But, but to cultivate it, to cultivate it with trust. Trust. Put it into practice. Try it out. And I believe this. If we, as a church, cultivate trust, you will see God do amazing and beautiful things. He will bless this community. Not only for this community, but he will bless it for your neighbors. He will bless it for the world and for the nations. So cultivate it. Don't let it sit here. Be cultivated together. And I really believe that this can be a, a place where others can witness the glory of Christ. Let's pray. You know, um, before I close, I just want to offer one, you know, prayer, reflection. What is it in your life that you have a hard time entrusting to God? What is that? Is it your, is it your wealth? Is it your, your marriage or your kids, uh, future, your school, um, your career, whatever it may be, uh, if you're bold enough um, to say, God, I want to entrust this to you. I know I've been holding on. I've been gripping tightly to this, but I want to involve you in it. I want you to lead me in it. God, be with me in this in this area of my life where I have a hard time entrusting to you. It might, actually, it might even be a sin that you're having a hard time letting go. Um, if you're bold enough to relinquish that to God as well. See, prayer is one of the clearest ways and the most amazing ways we can trust in God. So God, be with me. Help me in this.
just want to give you a moment to, to connect with God and, and offer that prayer to him, and I'll close in prayer.